going to be starting a new series called Pandemic Christianity, Pandemic Christianity, and uh, it's not, um, it's not a discourse on the pandemic per se, but it's more about how we should live during these kinds of difficult and troubling times. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for the pandemic to be over. I'm ready for everything to be back to normal. Anybody else ready for that? And so I would hope that tomorrow it would be like that. But if it's not, well, we'll just have to, we'll have to continue on. But it, what's important is not what's going on around us, but how we respond in the middle of times like these. And, and the reality is that what I'm going to tell you today is that, that we really... Probably we should be doing everything I'm going to preach in these next few sermons. We should do them all the time. That it's not just about what's going on now, but it's about how we should always live. I'm going to turn your attention to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read a lengthy but familiar portion of Scripture to you today. Luke 10 and and let me set the stage just a little bit for you. Luke is... One of, of course, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic Gospels. And by synoptic, that means that they tell a lot of the same stories. They have the same information, but told in different ways. Whereas the Gospel of John is more unique. It's kind of a series of seven things, seven miracles, seven primary miracles, seven major parables, seven major teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And then, of course, you've got, uh, you've got other stuff kind of thrown in here, but that's kind of the big framework. But it does unique things that, in many places, the Gospel of John does things that none of the other Gospels do. But Luke is one of the synoptics, and what's, what's kind of different about the Gospel of Luke is that it is much more chronological that it sets thing out, things out in the sequence of events. Now, obviously, in, in all of the Gospels, if they tell about the birth of Jesus, that's at the beginning. If they tell about the death, burial, and resurrection, that's at the end. But in between, it can be a variety of different ways in which the material is organized. But for Luke, he sets out to do what he says is an orderly way of looking at the life of Jesus. And most would take that to be a chronological kind of look. And and the passage we're going to read today is one of numerous passages where Jesus, he has opposition, he has people that are against him, people that don't like him, and they, because of that, are constantly trying to trip him up, trying to get him in trouble with the religious leaders of the day so that they can get rid of him, get him to, to say something negative about the the law of Moses, getting to say negative things so people will stop following him. And it is one of those scenarios that is taking place here. It says this, and behold, let me actually, I'm going to read the New American Standard, and it may be in a different version up there. I'm reading New American Standard. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he says to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, that is the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Anybody ever asked that? Who's my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, just happened to be, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So he, he sees this man that's wounded, and he's like, forget that guy, and he walks on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, that's money, 
uh, and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three, Jesus says, do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, that's the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him, then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise, go and do likewise. I want to preach just for a little bit on this thought, loving our neighbor. Look at, look at your neighbor, the person sitting next to you and say, I love you. And say it like you mean it. And most, many of you are family that are sitting next to each other. Say it like you mean it. If you're, if you're not family, you probably shouldn't be sitting together during COVID, right? But, but there is a, a, a part of, of human, uh, the human condition that we demonstrate love when it is convenient. That when, it, when it's inconvenient, we just kind of like, well, I'll get to that later. But when it's convenient, when like we have nothing to do, then we'll do something for somebody. We'll help them out. We'll, we'll, we'll just go with them to do something. We'll help them carry something when it's convenient. Sometimes we also demonstrate love when it's people we know. But if it's people we don't know, then we don't really have a great desire to help them out. Anybody like that? I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I, I do that way too often. It's like if I know them, I'm, like, I'm much more inclined to... Do something to help them. I, I would never, let me say it this way, I, I don't know that I would ever pass by a broken down vehicle on the side of the road if it was somebody I knew. I would stop and I would help them. But I pass people all the time sitting on the side of the road with a broken down vehicle and I'm going, boy, looks like they got a cell phone, they're probably okay. Somebody else will come take care of them. Somebody else will be neighborly. Am I the only one? Uh, I get a few. I got a few amens. Me and the Eatons, we're the only ones that do that kind of stuff, maybe. But if I know them, I stop. It's that simple. And it's not because I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I'm not afraid of getting hurt. I'm not afraid of, I'm just, I got stuff to do. I wouldn't be driving if I wasn't going somewhere. I'm driving because I'm going somewhere. It doesn't matter if it's not really that important or if I'm not on a time schedule, but I'm just I'm doing something. And it's inconvenient for me to stop and help people. I would tell you that that's not very Christ-like. It's not what Jesus has called us to do. It's not what we should be doing. There's a book, I, I rem- uh, probably mentioned it sometime in the... Uh, the recent past, but it's called In His Steps. It was written around the turn of the 20th century, so around 1900 or so. Charles Sheldon is the, the author of that book. And, and in that book, is he, he popularized really this concept of asking the question, what would Jesus do? A big tent revival about 20 years ago. It's a musical group. They... they wrote a song talking about what would Jesus do. And, and from that, it really became popular. And everybody had the wristbands and all this stuff. And you have your WWJD t-shirts and your hats and you had all this stuff. And I would just tell you that if you ever wear a WWJD hat, wristband, whatever, make sure you really do what Jesus would do. <laughs> what would Jesus do? And you're wearing that shirt and you see the broken down car. I'm like, hey, I don't think Jesus would stop. Jesus is trying to save the world. He don't have time for that. That's not what Jesus would do. So it's, it's important for us to be Christ-like, to do what it is that he says. And in this text, we see some important concepts that I, I'm going to bring out in just a moment. But let me just tell you this. I, I've mentioned this story before, and, and I will... Uh, let me tell you a generic situation, then I'll tell you the specific story. But the generic situation is, how many of you have seen people on the side of the road asking for money? We'll work for food, we'll do whatever, homeless, army veteran, Christian, whatever it happens to be, and, and who knows? And the reality is, I have no idea if most of that's true. But what I do know is my reaction most of the time is, I'm not going to make eye contact. If my window was down, I'm putting it up when I get close. Can I get a witness? I'm not sure that that is loving our 
neighbor. In fact, I would tell you that that is not loving our neighbor. The questions that should be asked is, is how do we help people and how do we determine who it is that we should help? You can't help everybody. But so who should you help and how should you help? And, and one question that people ask is, can we just focus on the spiritual? Let's just tell them about Jesus and that's good. That's a question people ask. We're just going to share the gospel and it doesn't matter that they're broke down the side of the road. I'm just going to say, I'm going to drive by and say, Jesus loves you and you can go to heaven. I mean, is that, is that what we are called to do? How, how do we, on the other hand, how do we resist falling into a social gospel? And in fact, the book that I told you about, In His Steps, written by Charles Sheldon, that is part of what started what's called a social gospel movement. And the social gospel is this, we will take care of people's needs and whatever it is that they have, but you may never really share with them about Jesus. Not that you can't share, but if you sometimes you focus too much on just helping them out, then you leave out the most important part is making sure that they're in a right relationship with Jesus Christ and they're going to make it to heaven. That's most important, but it can't be all of one and none of the other. It really has to be a both and, and we'll look at that. So how do we navigate that tension? This story, as I mentioned, it's, it's very common. Everybody knows about the Good Samaritan. You may not even know what a Samaritan is, but you know the story of the Good Samaritan. We use it as part of our culture, as part of our lingo. It's things we have adopted into our sayings. And there in this passage, there are four things that I want to bring to your attention. The first is this, that loving our neighbor impacts eternal life. Say that to the neighbor sitting by you. It impacts eternal life. Now we have a new light up here, and it makes it more difficult for me to see, and I'm going to order another one, then I'm going to really be blind up here. And, uh, but, so I'm, I'm going to have you say things just to make sure that you're paying attention so say it one more time look at your neighbor it impacts eternal life that how we love our neighbor may determine whether or not we make it to heaven now i realize there there is nothing i've never heard anybody in the plan of salvation go this is how you're saved boom 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 and love your neighbor but i would tell you that what jesus says is informative and instructive in verse 25 a lawyer put him to the test saying teacher what do i do to inherit eternal life his question is how can i make it to heaven how can i get there jesus says what's written in the law how does it read and the lawyer answered now keep in mind the lawyer is not a legal thing like we have today the lawyer here is a student of the law and the law in that context is the old testament law it is the first five books of the bible called the torah by the jews and called the pentateuch by everybody else from the from the greek and Latin. it is the first five books of the bible that gives the the law of god and so a lawyer is a person who is well versed in the law whose job and responsibility is to know those first five books of the Bible. And he answers correctly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't have COVID, but just want to let you know that when I cough here. I also don't have a bottle of water, so we're, but we're good. I'll just I'll just do a little a little excursus here. We did a live stream only back in September, and uh, nobody's in the room except Josh and Josh and uh, me. And five minutes into the live stream, I have to cough, and I'm going. And for thirty minutes, I stood there trying not to cough. And finally, man, it got down to the end. And I just like right before we ended, I just like. 
I just coughed. And we were closed. We were doing live stream only because of COVID exposure. And people had been exposed to COVID. I'm like, man, if you cough now, everybody, every cough is COVID, right? You sneeze, you do whatever. You sniffle. Oh, this guy, they got COVID. All right, so I don't have COVID to the best of my knowledge. I don't feel sick. I just need some water. Uh, but, but the lawyer is, is studying the Old Testament book, and he answers the question correctly. What do you do to inherit eternal life? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You have answered correctly. You have, you have gotten the answer to the question correctly. Thank you so much, Dathan. I appreciate it. He said, if you do this, if you love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself, you will live. I would tell you that if you don't love your neighbor, you probably don't really love God. That's what Jesus teaches. That's what the Bible would tell us. It's that so when we're loving our neighbor, it impacts our eternal life because that means that we really do love Jesus. That we're doing it for Jesus. We're we're doing it because of Jesus. He would say this, how can you say that you love God whom you have not seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen? Jesus would say, if you don't love your brother, you don't really love me. You've never seen me. You've never experienced, you've, you've never, you don't, you don't know what I look like. You don't love your brother then you really don't love me. I would tell you there are plenty of people who say they love God, but maybe what they really do is they love what God can do for them. That that saying you love God or even coming to church or doing good things, it's a way to get out of out of uh, hell. I I love God because he can get me to heaven. I love God because he keeps me out of hell. I love God because he can heal me when I'm sick. But if I don't really need anything, do I talk to him? Do I experience him? Do I bother showing up whenever he's not convenient or when I don't need any help from him? But I would just tell you, and this is the smallest of my points, but it impacts eternal life whether you love your neighbor because it is indicative of whether you really love God. And, I, and I, I understand that there are a lot of people that help other people that may not know who Jesus is. They may have no understanding and no concept of who Jesus is. I get that. But if you're a person who says you're following Jesus, you have to love your neighbor. And if you don't, you really don't love him. The second thing is this, that loving our neighbor crosses divides I, I struggled with how to actually say this i had boundaries down and i was looking for other words but i chose divides that loving our neighbor crosses divides verse 29 but wishing to justify himself he said to jesus this is the lawyer speaking and who is my neighbor that he wanted to kind of hedge his bets He knew he was supposed to love his neighbor, but I don't know that I really want to do that. So let's see if I can narrow it down as to who is my neighbor. And maybe I can make my neighbor my family, or maybe I can make my neighbor my friends, or maybe I can make my neighbor just the people that I like. And Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance just so happened a priest a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side now this is important because 
What Jesus is saying is that he wasn't really going anywhere. He didn't really have anything. He just, by chance, happens to be passing by. Remember I talked about I'm going somewhere. That's why I don't stop and help people. I'm busy. I got stuff to do. Sometimes it's absolutely nothing. I'm just driving that way. Kind of what happens. A certain priest, he just came by and he saw him and he's like, I think I'm going to get on the other side of the road. There's a homeless guy out there at this red light. Oh, man, I hope the light stays green long enough so I can get through this. And then you stop right by the guy asking for money. Anybody ever done that? And then you make sure that you're really busy on your phone. It's like, got to peek, see if he's looking at you. Oh, I feel conviction in the house. <laughs> Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at, that, at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now, I, I don't know this for sure. Now, I, I, I might know a little bit about a lot. But I recently heard this. It's that whenever they would tell stories in, in, uh, in the Bible days, they had a certain sequence that they would tell at times. And, and, and I, well, I'll say it. I'll see if I can come up with something besides saying three men went into a bar. But that, whenever people tell stories and there's always three people, it's always the same kind of, well, it was a preacher, and it was this, and it was that, whatever it happens to be. You, you've heard those stories, there's jokes or whatever. Or, you know, a, a Baptist and a Methodist and a Pentecostal showed up at the gates of heaven, whatever it is, it's always in threes. That what would typically take place in the first century is they would do this, a priest, a Levite, and a Pharisee. That they would tell stories, and what was common is that the Pharisees, and maybe they're the ones who started this, they were always the hero. That the Pharisee was the one who had the right answer, who did the right things. And so Jesus uses this pattern. A priest did this, and he just ignored him. A Levite came by, and he ignored him. Get as far away from him as we can. And the expectation would be that, oh, but this Pharisee came by. And the Pharisee comes by and he's going to do the right thing. But Jesus messes up their typical process and their typical story. And he doesn't talk about a Pharisee. Now, if you're not familiar with a Pharisee, a Pharisee is a, a religious person who uh, is typically more concerned about what people think about them than they are about what God thinks of them. They're more concerned about making sure they look good for everybody else, maybe uh, the good word, and Jesus used this all the time, that the Pharisees were primarily hypocrites. They would do religious things so that people would look at them and go, oh, look how spiritual they are. But Jesus messes up their, their process, and he messes up the story, and he says, not a Pharisee, but a Samaritan. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was, he came where this guy was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, now, Understand this, it wasn't just by chance. The Samaritan is going somewhere. He is on a journey. He has a destination. And in the middle of his journey, he sees this man and he has compassion and he stops. So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn and took care of him. So I entitled this particular point that loving our neighbor crosses divides. There are a few divides that are here. But the word divide is, is used in our language. You've heard of the great divide. That's actually geographical and hydrological. That's a mouthful right there. But it's basically the mountain range that runs from Canada all the way down to Mexico. It divides the continental U.S. or divides North America. And that when water hits and when it rains, the mountains divide whether the water goes to the west or into the Pacific or it goes east into the Atlantic. It's the great divide. It's, it's what separates though, that part of the country. And I, I lived in Colorado for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, I'm sorry. And I will tell you, I would not do good living on an island. Because even though I'm just in Colorado, 
there was a big mountain range between me and home. And if it snowed, the pass would be closed. And then it's a much longer journey to try to get around beyond that. And so this great divide, it really felt like a divide. And, and my wife and I, we were dating at the time. Uh, we weren't married yet. We still date every once in a while when we can find good babysitters and whatever. But, but we, were, we were dating at the time, and I always would want to go back. And just the knowledge that I couldn't just get in the car and just go back any time, it really messed with me. It was a great divide. But here in this story, there are some great divides. There are things that divide people. There are things that divide the audience that Jesus is talking to. The first is this, is that there is an ethnic divide. You have a Samaritan and you have a Jew, and they did not like each other. Samaritans, in essence, were what were considered half-Jews, and, and half is probably not really the right term. It went all the way back to the 700s B.C. when, when Assyria came in and destroyed Israel. And they took some of the Israelites into captivity, but they also took other nations that they had enslaved and brought into captivity, and they put them in Israel, and the Israelites intermingled with the other nations. And so they had a Jewish heritage. They had partial uh, Hebrew blood in them, but it wasn't full. And so the full-blooded Hebrews, they didn't like the Samaritans. They didn't get along. They didn't talk to each other if they could help it. And Jesus messes this up when he says, not a Pharisee, but a Samaritan helped the man. A Samaritan who should have avoided him at all cost. But he said, it doesn't matter that he's a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, he's in need. He is my neighbor, and he needs my help. And I would just tell you this right now, that we need to help those in need that are not just like us. And it doesn't matter if they're the same ethnicity, if they're the same socioeconomic background, it doesn't matter any of that. It matters that they are people in need, and they are our neighbor. There are also theological differences that the, the Samaritans, they worshipped the same God. But they did it a different way. They didn't hold to the entire Old Testament. They only looked at those first five books of the Bible, the Torah, as we talked about earlier. That's all they, anything beyond that didn't count for them. So they have these theological differences that they don't agree on all the points. And they don't, if you read John chapter 4, when Jesus stops and he talks to the woman at the well, she's a Samaritan. And she said, well, you say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but, but we work up over, worship over here. We worship in different places. We worship in different ways. We don't believe the same thing. But that didn't really matter either. All that mattered was there was a person in need who needed help. And the Samaritan stopped. The priest didn't stop and the Levite didn't stop, but the Samaritan did. The one who should have had the least motive to stop, he stopped and helped. The passage in Matthew 25, my time is getting short. I'm gonna, let me hurry, but you're familiar with some of this. I'm going to read it at 16 verses. I'm going to read it as quick as I can. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's all great. He separates the sheep and the goats, and he says, come. All you sheep, and you're going to inherit the kingdom. But then verse 35, he tells them why they're going to inherit the kingdom. And he says this, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Inherit eternal life because you have done all of these things. Then the righteous will say, 
to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. That when we help people in need, when we do it unto the least of these, and whatever that means in your context, maybe that's the homeless guy. Maybe that's just people that are a little down on their luck. Maybe that's people that are just, their car broke down on the side of the road. Whatever that means, Jesus said, when you have done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. I'm not going to take time to read that, but the converse is also true, and he listed out, and he says, to those that aren't going to inherit eternal life, you didn't feed the hungry. And you didn't clothe the naked and you didn't take care of the stranger and you didn't do any of this stuff. You didn't give water to those that were thirsty. You don't get eternal life. But My point here is that it doesn't matter the background. It doesn't matter the, the beliefs. It doesn't matter the ethnicity. It's all about helping people in need. It is loving our neighbor. Thirdly, loving our neighbor demands action. And verse 34, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put them on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he went out, or took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. This is not just a spiritual analogy. This is not just a parable that says, well, you just need to help people out some way. But it demanded action on the part of the Samaritan. He couldn't just look at him and said, man, he really needs help. That doesn't do anything. Praying for a need is good. And prayer is the first thing that we should do in almost every situation if not every situation. We should pray and we should say, God, we need your help. But we don't pass by the person broken down on the side of the road and say, oh, God, help their car to start and just go on our way. It demands action. James wrote it this way. He said, if you see a person who is cold or is hungry, you don't just say, be warmed and be filled. That does nothing. What he says is that does nothing. Be warmed. No, give them a coat. You're hungry. Oh, be filled. No, give them food. That he says just saying the words doesn't do anything. And he, and he goes on to say faith without works is dead being alone. So if you want to have faith, that's great. But you need some works to go along with it. Don't just say be warm. Don't just say be filled. But give them code and give them food. So that they can actually be warmed and be filled. And experience the love of Jesus Christ. Through you. Through what you are doing. The Bible says this. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not is okay. Now what it says, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. That when you know that you should do something and you refuse to do it, it is sin. What that means And, I, and I've been very self-deprecating and transparent that I've committed a lot of sin by not doing what I could do to help people in need. Oh, it's too much work, it's too much time, it's too much energy. And that's really my, my third point is that 
Not only does loving our neighbor impact eternal life, and not only does it cross divides, and not only does it demand action, but it also demonstrates biblical stewardship. It's that when I help others, it takes my time, my resources, my, my talent, whatever that may be. It takes effort. I've got to do something. I've got to spend time. I've got to spend money. I can't just say, be warm, be filled. John wrote in, in 1 John three seventeen through 19 he says, But whoever has the world's goods, in case you're wondering, that's money, that's physical things, and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that if we have the goods, the material possessions of this world, and we don't help those in need, then we don't have his love. But if we help those in need with what God has blessed us with, then we know that we are of the truth. And our hearts are assured before him. I... I, have lived this, seen this. I was talking to somebody on Friday, and, and many times we are educated beyond our beliefs. That we know more than we actually do, that we actually live out. Somebody had once said that it's not what I don't understand about the Bible that's the problem. It's what I do understand and I don't live. The, the reality is for most of us, we don't need more Bible knowledge. We need more Bible action. We need to live out what we know. And, and somebody else once said, it's not what I don't understand about Scripture. It's what I do understand that bothers me. Because I, then I have to actually do something. It's not that I can't figure out how to love my neighbor. It's that I have to love my neighbor. It's not that we don't know what it means, it's just that we don't want to do it. And, and I'm saying, guilty, been there, done that. But loving our neighbor is what we should do all the time, but much more so in the middle of a pandemic. When our world is hurting and our world is struggling and, and people uh, are, are committing suicide in record numbers, because they can't be with the people they love. They can't be around people and depression and all these different things going on. And they lost a job and they, they don't have the money that they had before. The difficulties of life that, that may be more so now than at any time in our lifetimes. Not in history, but in our lifetimes, people need us to love them now. It will impact our eternal life and it will also impact theirs if we show them the love of Jesus. If we are Jesus to them, if we let it cross the divides and we don't look at ethnicity and we don't look at social standing and we don't look at economic uh, means, but we just say, this is a person in need. It will demand our action and it will demonstrate whether we really believe that God is in charge of everything and he has given us what we have. When we hold on to the possessions that he has let us manage, then what we're really saying is, I did this. And I'm in charge of this. And, and I don't know that I can trust God if I give it away that he will be able to replace it and take care of my needs. So I need to hold on to what I have instead of saying I need to use what I have for his glory and his kingdom. I don't want to say this, and, and this, this is not to be boastful. And it's really both, both times it was for missions it wasn't really helping people in, in a physical situation like I'm preaching. 
about today. But on two different occasions, and we, uh, my family, we've been following Dave Ramsey type stuff since before anybody heard of Dave Ramsey, because he got it from other people, and we got it from the people he got it from. And we've been doing that, my wife and I have been doing that since we were married. And so, you know, it took us a long time to get three months, three to six months savings saved up. Where if, I, if I, there was no income coming in, could we pay our expenses? And we had that. And then I was in a mission service. I was like, yeah, who needs savings? <laughs> and I wrote a check and gave away all of our three to six months savings. God gave it all back. And then I wrote another check, same amount, five years apart, for somebody to help expand their church building. Not because I'm good, not because, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I've learned not to hold on to things when I feel God is impressing, but I wish I had all of that sitting there. It would make me feel better. But I gave it because it's what, it doesn't belong to me anyway. That the God who gave it to me and is letting me manage that and use it for, it's really for his glory, for his kingdom, he can replace it. It's the same thing with our time and our, and our other resources. Use them for his purpose. And part of his purpose is to love our neighbor. People have a number of objections to doing this kind of thing. Well, it's not my job to make sure they're, they're doing okay. It's too dangerous. And, and, I, and I would advise, you know, and I've used this example over and over. I would advise you if you're a female and you're by yourself, you know, just pulling over and helping anybody on the side of the road may not be a wise thing to do. But if you're a burly guy like Daniel, you ain't got anything to worry about. But there are times when it is dangerous. I'm not advocating go in danger. Some people say, oh, it's too dangerous. I can't do this or I can't do that. Others are, well, we just need to preach the gospel. Just tell them about Jesus. And if you tell them about Jesus... And they don't come to Jesus, and it doesn't matter anyway. I would tell you, in the words of Hudson Taylor, famous missionary to China, who said this, a hungry man has no ears. And what he meant by that, he's going into China where there's a lot of people, they didn't have the food that they needed. They didn't have what they needed to sustain themselves and come in and tell them, oh, let me tell you about Jesus doesn't do any good if they're hungry. And they're going like, I don't want to hear about eternal life. I need to be able to live now. And he said, a hungry man has no ears. So take care of their need. And then maybe they will want to hear about the Jesus that you serve. And, and it's not just about doing it indiscriminately. I'm not even, I wouldn't even suggest that. I wouldn't tell you that hide your identity. Hide that you're doing it because you're a child of Jesus. That's not helpful. But what Jesus says, if you do it in my name. Hey, I love you. Jesus loves you. Here's what you need. Not just be like, I love you and I'm pretty awesome. I'm doing it because of Jesus. That maybe when you do something for, because of Jesus, they will want to know the Jesus that you serve. They will want to know the Jesus that you claim to follow. Another objection, and this is America. They can help themselves. I don't think that Jesus put any kind of geographical location on the need to help others. It doesn't matter where you are. It matters that they are in need. I saved this last one as we're wrapping up. And you can stand with me. 
This, this last one is this, is that loving our neighbor demonstrates God's mercy. The question that Jesus asked at the end is, which one of these was a neighbor to the person in need? Which one, was it the priest, or was it the Levite, or was it the Samaritan that was a neighbor to the person in need? And the lawyer got it right, he says, the one who showed mercy. That the one who showed mercy was the one who was a neighbor. And I tell you that when we are showing mercy and we're having compassion on people that are in need, it demonstrates God's mercy to other people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. What Jesus said in John 3.16 Paul wrote that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us and That while we were sinners, he demonstrated his own love toward us. There is a passage in the Old Testament that talks about Israel and how God found Israel. if If you understand Israel's background and their history, they were God's chosen people from the beginning of them becoming a nation or a people. And you would think that because they were God's people, they would follow him and they would, they would serve him because he's blessing them. But they didn't do that. They were constantly turning their back on him and then getting themselves in trouble and God would punish them and then he would deliver them back out and bring them back into relationship and then 40 years would pass and they would, they would start worshiping idols again. And so they're doing all of this kind of thing. And, and, and God likens Israel to a baby found in a ditch. He says, I I found you in a ditch, a newborn. In fact, the Bible says unsalted is what it uses of of that baby and what they would do to take care of the, the skin and not wrapped up, just abandoned in a ditch. He says, I I found you in this ditch and I I took you out and I loved you and I cared for you and I I took care of your your issues and I wrapped you up in cloth and I protected you. And I raised you and and, and I made you into something great. And he said, and and he and he treats, he refers to Israel like like a a woman and he says, and I and I made you beautiful and I put rings on your fingers and I, I made you something that everybody would look at and say, look how awesome they are. He said, that's where I found you. You were nothing. You were abandoned in a ditch. But his mercy, and he took them, and he made them a great nation. And what God does for us is he finds us in our sin, and he finds us laying on the side of the road like this, this Jew that was on his way down the path and life has mistreated us and people have done bad things to us and they've harmed us. And it doesn't go our way. It doesn't go like we want it to go. Things aren't as good as we want them to be. And the Samaritan comes along and he's like, let me help you out. Well, that's what God does to us. And when we show that love, then people want to know that God that we serve. And he's but he does that to us in our sin and in our, our brokenness and in our difficulties. He's like, I found you in the, on the, in the ditch on the side of the road, but I want, to, I want to take you to myself and I want to raise you. I want to take care of you and give you an inheritance and give you eternal life. People are much more likely to come to Jesus when they have seen us act Christ-like. Mark Hall wrote, he's the lead singer, Casting Crowns. 
wrote a song. It's an older song. It says, love them like Jesus. The chorus says, just love her like Jesus. Carry her to him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You don't need the answers to all of life's questions. Just know that he loves her and stay by her side and love her like Jesus. What we are called to do is to love our neighbor like Jesus loved us. And no matter how well you think you're doing, how good you have it together, it's only by his grace and by his mercy that we have anything positive. And in this difficult season that we're in called a pandemic, it is imperative that we show the love of Jesus to our neighbors. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you for your spirit and your presence that I feel here. Lord, I, I'm confident that what I have preached is your word. That what you want us to do is to love others into the kingdom. You haven't called us, Lord, just to tell the gospel. That's where we need to get. That's the apex of what we're supposed to do. You haven't called us, Lord, to, to just serve them in various ways and take care of their needs. But we are to do it in your name. We are to do it because you have demonstrated your love to us. We want to demonstrate that love back others so that they will know you and have a relationship with you that they would come into a saving relationship with you lord i pray that you would help us to put aside our busyness to put aside our selfishness or whatever it happens to be lord that would hinder us from loving others like you would have us to do help us to show the love of jesus to everybody we meet Lord, who is our neighbor? The reality, Lord, is it's everybody. It's not just the person living next door. It's not just our friends. It's not people we run into at school or just on the job, but it's everybody. Whoever is in need is our neighbor. Most importantly, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in us, that we would be everything that you have called us to be, that we would be the people who are called by your name, that that we would be people who are in a right relationship with you. That if any of us need to repent, Lord, that we would do that on a daily basis. We would make our relationship with you right. That we would turn away from any sin. And I pray, Lord, that you would wash us all in the waters of baptism. That you would fill us with your spirit evidence, speaking in other tongues, as the scripture says. Lord, be at work in us, I pray. Help us to live out our faith in tangible ways to those who are in need. We thank you, Lord, and we give you praise. And everybody said amen.